0: Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. I'm excited about this week as I'm joined by four different guys that were all a part of this year's Exo Mountain Gear death hike in Alaska. These are all four guys that i've grown to know over the last few years and become friends with and um, there are several topics that we will cover most of which have come in by you guys the listeners we'll chat about nutrition we'll chat about training we'll chat about you know how did all four of them prepare to take on something like the mileage and the elevation that we had planned whenever we first signed up to go on a hike like this we'll talk about gear what worked what didn't what would they leave at home next time We'll talk about all the mental lows that are inevitably going to pop up whenever you try to take something like this on, something that's really, really challenging. The format's gonna be a bit different than other shows that we've done as well. There will be a question, and then each of the guys will reply. For instance, I'll ask about how one of them approached the training, we'll hear the reply. We'll get four replies in a row, and then change topics. I think that you're gonna find one common thread woven throughout the entire thing everyone approached this different. And honestly, that is the ultimate takeaway for something like the death hike. There is no standard. It's your hike. It's yours to make of it what you want. You can make it your own personal challenge. And that personal challenge just happens to be the same thing 22 other guys are taking on with you. So it's very much an individual approach and there is no one-size-fits-all to anything. But The four responses are very different. It gives you different ideas on things that you can take in your own training, in your own trip planning and apply them. There are several references to books food and gear made throughout the course of the show. I'm gonna do my best to make sure that those are all linked in the show notes. So you can go back and check those out if you're interested, or maybe you wanna pick one of them up for your own planning, training, next adventure, whatever. So without further ado, here is Pat Kelly, Jake Havlicek, Anthony Oberti, and Dionia Amuchastagi on their experience preparing for and completing the 2022 Exo Mountain Gear Death Hike in Alaska. What strategy did you take to training this year?
1: So I I would say the main thing. So this is my fifth one. And the, I will say that the first one I did, I think when you're training for these, it takes, I really think it takes about six or 12 months of continually hiking to get your feet underneath you, you know, to toughen your feet to where, you know, previous death hikes, my, my big toe would be numb for. In some cases, a few months after the death hike. And this last one in Alaska, I didn't get numb at all, maybe for a couple of days. So I think it takes some time just to, to develop your feet and, and figure out your footwear. I mean, I've got just a ton of boots and socks that I've experimented with, try to figure out what works. But as far as my comments for this year, I think the biggest thing I did similar type training in the past, but this year I just did more climbing, more vertical climbing. So my weekly hikes on the weekend in the past would be like, oh, 20, 25 miles and like four or 5,000 feet. This year, I was doing 8,000 and 9,000 feet of climbing a day um, because I was under the impression, or, you know, we were, we had this enormous amount of climbing we were going to do in Alaska, you know, it was slated for 30,000 feet. So I thought, you know, if you're going to be climbing 10,000 feet a day, 12,000 feet a day, you should probably practice something close to that. So I always like to go in these events. I don't want the first time I hike 20 miles or do this or that to be at the death hike. Like I expect to stretch things a little bit, but I want to come in knowing that I've done pretty close to that in my training. It just, from a mental standpoint, it helps me. So that's what I did differently was just the extreme amount of vertical climbing. Um, real
0: real quick, if I can ask you, logistically speaking, like when, you know, whenever you hear a guy saying, okay, I'm trying to get nine to 10,000 vertical feet of climbing in my training, are you finding somewhere local and basically doing a thousand feet repeats 10 times? Are you kind of carrying that 10,000 vertical feet over 25, 26 miles? Like if logistically, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. No, I'm looking for a route that gives me a loop. That's, you know, the 20 to 30 miles and has that amount of climbing over the entire course. And what I like to do is I try to do in the areas that I hunt because I want to be scouting country at the same time. I used to just do similar routes. Like, you know, there's some really good climbs just up, um, Harris Creek summit at horseshoe bend. You could go get 5,000 feet really quick. Um, or pretty quick. But I was like, you know, I want to, there's certain areas I've wanted to scout and see. So what better time now than to go knock 20, 30 miles out. And, you know, I could do my training and see the country at the same time. And in doing that, I definitely ruled some places in and ruled some places out with my training this year. So next year, I I might do that. Actually, I already think I'm going to do things different next year in hindsight, but that's kind of the approach I've taken so far.
0: So what, if you could like projecting into the future and, you know, like Steve has tossed around the idea of us going back, um, what would you change compared to what you'd done this year?
1: First thing I would change is do more off trail. So I think on trail versus trail is a night and day difference. So the majority of my training was on trail. I mean, I had a fair amount off trail as well, but I kind of, you know, when I'm, we've done 200 milers and those were all on trail if this was a 100 miler on trail i thought it probably would have been easy because alaska and i thought alaska might be more of like a trail type thing but it wasn't it was as you know i mean we're we're climbing through the jungle so i would definitely do more off-trail training and then um I, I quasi questioned if I was over training about three weeks out from the event. So it was, it was, I, I, I thought it might be a problem. So I backed off just a little bit and going into the event, I felt good minus not sleeping the first night. So after, when we saw that moose going up that first climb, I'd felt awesome until then. And right about then I just was like, I just wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> so definitely gonna go up earlier next time and not try and pull an all nighter. Cause that doesn't work well
0: you talked a little bit about the endurance. You'd go out, you would do 10,000 vertical feet, 20, 26 miles. Did you, what did, what did the strength training portion of your training look like? The high intensity training portion of your look like, and kind of that middle level split between not necessarily low intensity, not high intensity, but not endurance either, sort of like that maintenance block between the longer stuff.
1: Yeah. So I've done the mountain tough stuff for about five years and they're really good. Those guys have a ton of programs and I mean, some of their program, their workouts now, like it, it, it's difficult to get through some of them. So what I was doing is, and I was kind of consulting with those guys too, along the way, like saying, Hey, here's the event that I have this year. What, which program do you recommend? And, you know, I told them every weekend I go hiking, so I'll get a big, long hike on the weekends. So they gave me their ideas and then had me add in a couple new, um, programs that they were working on that I thought were really, really beneficial. And I'll talk about those in a sec. So to answer your question, um, purely strength about two, maybe three days a week, high intensity, one or two days a week. And then just the super long cardio, you know, one or two times a week. Well, maybe one short one in the gym, like an hour, and then a eight or 10 hour on the weekend. So usually five to six days a week of training. And then even with the mountain tough programs, as you get closer to your hunt or your season, that'll evolve a little bit to where they're uh, doing more functional type movements rather than conventional weightlifting in the gym, if you would, to to develop a a foundation for strength. So that's what I did. And it, it's, it did good. I liked it. Um, The only thing I think of is just adding some more of cardio type stuff, like the uphill athlete guys have. Now the one workout that those guys recommended to me do that I, I started doing about four weeks out was a weighted your backpack, you know, you get 50 pounds or so. And you're it's a combination of step ups and lunges. And you're doing, I don't know, five or six hundred lunges by the time you're done with the workout. And I thought my legs felt pretty amazing after that. So yeah, the walking lunges or might be one of my favorite exercises that's most practical to what we're doing. So they've got a combination of different ones that involve that, but I thought that was one of the biggest um, positive additions that I added to my program this year. So, you know, this, for example, they have one where you put an 80 pound back on backpack on, you grab 40 pound dumbbells and just start walking. And as soon as you have to drop a dumbbell, you do 40 lunges, and then you keep walking until you get one mile. And by the, by the time you're done, you've done five or 600 lunges and you're beyond smoked. So And then you have to run a mile and a half before and after, but that type of stuff, it's, it's really cool. Um, And I think that's a really good practical one to what we're doing. Now, the other part of that is trying to figure out, I I don't think you can have it all. Like there's just, there's just no way. You can't have all the strength and all the cardio. It's just impossible. You're going to sacrifice one or the other to some degree. So it's trying to figure out the right balance for you. And I've, I, over the years, continued to, think about like, do I need to lose weight and not put so much focus on strength training and do more cardio? Um, or do I need to do just the opposite? So that's the one that's constantly in my mind. And I, and I don't know the answer. And when talking to guys at uphill athlete last week, he was referencing one of their new programs they have coming out. So one of their trainers, um, competed in the best army ranger competition so i think there's like 50 groups that get to do this every year if you're an army ranger you can compete in this competition i believe up to three times in your lifetime and he's won it and then he went back and trained the other groups to do it the following year and i kind of was mentioning my training to him and my my body weight if you would and some of the exercises and he was like you know there comes a point where the extra strength doesn't help you." For what we're doing. So he said, just so you know, like the guys that won this competition are like 160, 180 pounds, you know, they're not 220 big meatheads. So um, that was enlightening and something that's on my mind. And yeah, I might play with their pr- programs next year. Just try and wrap my head around doing all this cardio and, and getting away from the weights because I still think you need the strength. But his comment of, you know, there comes a point where. If you can bench 200 pounds, that's fine. Benching 400 pounds doesn't give you any more advantage per se, you know?
0: Which is, I mean, like conceptually, if you think of a lot, uh, if you think about a lot of guys who do some of these big mountains and who are, who just have this incredible endurance, none of those guys are super bulky. They're pretty small, pretty lean and you know, not, not generally carrying around a lot of additional muscle. And even like, it makes me think about, um, it makes me think about nutrition even. And like, in terms of how you phase your nutrition in conjunction with your training is largely going to be dependent on what the outcome is. For example, to, to, to be in a position, to put yourself in a position where you're able to build meaningful strength and muscle mass, you have to be at maintenance or in a slight surplus which automatically goes against any ability to try to drop weight. So you're never—you are exactly right. You said it perfect. You can't live in a state where you get both. And inevitably, the most common request that I get for, um, like, for people who maybe express interest in the program is, "I want to build muscle and I want to lose fat." there's really small subsets of groups where that might be possible depending on where they were prior to this, namely being like anyone who's just totally untrained, never experienced any training that may be possible, right? Because just the exposure of of training, the newbie gains are real for someone who's never trained. That's possible. But you know, for, for someone who has trained any period of their life, you do sort of have to phase it. You have to pick which one's more important.
2: Man, I, I don't know. I I've had, I've had years where I didn't train almost at all. So I feel like the training's really lower priority to me than, than a lot of other things. Um, your feet have to be tough. Um, that's probably almost as important as training It's just building up, building up your feet and having good footwear. Um, because you don't see guys start to flounder and have problems just because they're, they're not necessarily strong enough. I mean, I've, I've been the heaviest guy there most of the years I've done it and, and not heavy in a good way. Um, you know, and I've seen, I've seen guys that, that it, it doesn't seem like it's as much related to conditioning as it is one being determined that you're going to finish it from the first step, having that mindset. Cause, everybody's going to hit a low and everybody's going to hurt really bad at some point, And you're just going to have to find ways to work through that. So I, I don't think the training conditioning is, is going to get you away from that. It's, it's going to be, how able are you to, to keep going when it hurts? And then on top of that, basically, can you feel yourself? If, I mean, if, if your feet physically aren't there, you're not going to be able to do it. And then if you can't feel yourself, you're not going to be able to do it. But I feel like, I feel like I could take like most decently well-conditioned, able body, you know, 20, 30 year old, something males help them find the right footwear, you know, get them in some decent kind of shape. doesn't have to be anything incredible. And then, and then if they can feed themselves, they can hike all day long. Almost all of them at some point have had some new low where, you know, you, you have something hurts. That's never hurt like that before or you, you hit some, some point where, where mentally, you just don't know what, what you could possibly do anymore. Um, I remember the first one, the first one I did, I was, I was one of the only people there uh, who didn't have trekking poles and, uh, and there was four of us who ended up pushing through and doing the whole, whole hike straight through. We ended up doing the entire seven devils range. Uh, It was like 38 and a half miles and we did it in 17 hours. And I can remember climbing up out of the bottom of rapid river, getting up on top of Pollock mountain and I couldn't pick my feet up anymore. And I was literally kicking every rock and root in the trail. I lost three toenails um, in the following weeks after that. But somebody, somebody handed me some trekking poles because I'd been making fun of everybody who had trekking poles and never used them before. Somebody handed me some trekking poles. And I'm like, oh, that's why you guys are using these things. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot easier. And, and in, that, in that moment of being at an extreme low where it's like, okay, I don't know if I can walk anymore. And I got those. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I can. There's there's more in me and 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 this definitely makes makes a difference. And then I can uh, you know, a couple points that that contrast each other. I can remember day one of the first hundred miler. Um, Anthony and I had been training a bunch and uh I was I was in really, really good shape, or at least I felt like I was. Uh, but we went hard out of the gate. We were going really fast. We we're averaging like three and a half miles an hour. And um and we hit our first big climb and I bonked. And I'd never bonked before. So Um, you know, that was a, that was a pretty low, low, especially where I felt like I was one of the strongest guys there. And then, uh, and then just to hit that low nutritionally and, and basically feel like that for the next three days, essentially, I ate, I don't think I ate 3000 calories over three days and, and I was just sick the entire time. And then I can compare that to this year and, and last year, but particularly day two, um, last year on the, on the Frank church, uh, hike slash snowshoe death hike. Um, that was the most physical output I've ever exerted in, in a given day, like just the highest, the highest RPMs I've ever turned for the longest time. And I felt strong the entire time. Um, you know, comparing that to the first hundred miler where it's like, yeah, we were going pretty hard, but it was nowhere near level of exertion that, that I did last year on day two. And and I felt strong the whole time. And, and I know how how strong I didn't feel when I bonked. So just uh, being able to figure out how to, how to feed myself essentially to where I can, I can put out that level of effort and, and not get tired uh, and, and feel strong. And I guess, I guess I'd conflated things in the past where you know, there'd probably been lots of times or most of the time when I felt like I was, I was really tired or my muscles might be giving out and it was really just lack of nutrition. Uh,
0: Curious, like, because I'd love to dive more into the nutrition piece. Um, last year, whenever you were turning those RPMs for that long and feeling like that was the most exertion you've ever done, because you're not like, you're not a stranger to the mountains, even aside from the death hike. What was it about that in particular that made it made it hard was it the terrain was it the the elevation or you know what what oh, about man. that made it the most challenging
2: it was um yeah it wasn't really that much elevation either we were we were hiking up a drainage called Snowslide creek and if anybody's listened to the podcast on EXO about about the hike last year everybody that talks about day two which is it's, it'll it'll live in infamy to anybody who was there but it was it was the worst hiking conditions you could possibly ask for. It was it was really thick brush. It was boulders. It was down trees. It was loose rock. Um, nothing was flat, even or, or easy going. Just every every step was effort to place your feet. Uh, you're stepping over something constantly, pushing through something constantly. And I I can remember at so many points throughout the day, you look at guys hiking on the other side of the Creek or hiking in the bottom, or you're up trying to side Hill. And it's like, Oh, those guys have it so much easier than I've got. And then you swap places with them a half hour later. And it's like, no, it's just bad everywhere. Um, You know, we're, we're pretty dialed in group of guys and we can really put down some miles, but I want to say in, uh, in 12 hours, we did nine miles. So, and that was, that was going as hard as we could the entire day. Um, it's just, it was just a really, really physical day. Just add to that, you know, I had 55 pounds on my back. We had a rifle and all of our cold weather gear and snowshoes and, um, but I felt strong the entire time. So, you know, that was, it was a pretty, pretty stark contrast compared to, um, you know, some, some of my past efforts where I felt like. I felt like I was in better shape than I probably was last year, but I just didn't have the, I didn't have the gas tank to to be able to to go that
3: hard.
4: Yeah. I was gonna say, That's a really nice way of saying that neither of us prepared for it at all.
3: We still made it. We did. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's definitely a bit of a cop-out where like, I know I should be doing more preparation and I see, Pictures and stuff from our friends and videos where they're doing twenty mile hikes and ten thousand feet of elevation to practice, and I'm like, well, I feel like bike riding this weekend, so I'm gonna go for a bike ride. That's kind of preparation, but
0: not really. And
4: at the end of the day, I think I kind of I appreciate the suck fest of it. Like for me, I get more out of the mental anguish and having to push through it than I think I would if I was actually physically prepared. Like making it torturous and letting it hurt and stuff but still getting through it kind of does more for me. It's more of like a, a reset and a refresh and reminds me of how capable you are of doing things that seem impossible at the time.
3: Yeah. For me, uh, my main focus is uh, just been working out. So just hitting the, you know, I've, uh, I've got a, a gym in my parents' garage. Um, So I've been just working out, lifting and just really trying to bulk, you know, so I've actually gained a lot of weight lately and, if, if I had the choice between go on a hike or, or lift weights, I was going to lift weights, um, until, you know, there's the, the, the clock started ticking. I started realizing, like, even though I'm in shape, like, you know, however many miles we had planned, like, there's a, there's a lot of miles to be hiked, hiked on this, uh, death hike. And even though like you hunt and uh, you do a few camping trips that involve hiking, you still have to train. And so I started realizing like, oops, I, I gotta do something here real fast or else I'm gonna be SOL. So we still did a little bit of training. Um, but yeah we went on but, one, we went on one <laughs> hike. What was that?
0: So For obviously sure. and I like I hear you, you're not saying there's no value in training. I, I know better than that.
4: Yeah, absolutely not.
0: I also think though that there is tremendous value in realizing like even so even if you don't have as much time to dedicate towards it as you would like or even if you can get very few training whatever right like jake you're talking about you're doing it kind of in a home gym pat you're doing it on a mountain bike so even if you can't get this ideal training in like you still committed to it realizing i'm gonna get as much in as i can with what i've got uh, time wise and um resources wise to get in and then i'm just gonna go and figure it out Right.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, it was challenging for sure. Um, I definitely think a little bit extra training would have helped, uh, specifically for just having that stamina. Like there was a few times where, you know, I just wanted a break for an extra 10 minutes when in reality, we had to pack up our stuff and, and go. Um, so I think that's where that training will definitely come into play. Uh, and You know, as far as like gear training or or testing, like when we did that 14 mile hike, I was surprised with how, you know, how I felt like I felt like I I assumed I was going to feel even worse. Granted, I mean, it wasn't in the conditions like it was in Alaska, Uh, but say, for instance, like my boots, I had no problem whatsoever. And so that definitely gave me, you know, a step up in, in, in feeling confident Whereas Pat, he, he had a different situation than I did on I that did. hike.
4: <laughs> yeah, I did not. I did not finish that hike well. Doing nothing and then jumping right into a fourteen-mile hike with you and uh, Justin. Man, like it's funny. I didn't get hurt at all on the death hike, and I actually finished and felt pretty good at the end of the death hike. I still have like a nagging issue with the back of my knee from that stupid training hike, and it was just from tromping down essentially a packed trail almost all downhill. I just kind of hyperextended my knee at some point and
0: it's still bugging me. Next up, nutrition.
1: Yeah. So in general, my nutrition at home is is pretty good. Um, I'm definitely lean, lean a little bit more protein and fats than I do carbs at home. Um, I mean, I guess you try and keep it balanced, but and I've experimented with it a lot. And and you've you've said this before. I when I'm out there, so hunting. It's totally different hunting. I have beef jerky and all the nut butters and proteins and fats, you know, a fair amount, but on the death hike, I just can't put that stuff down. It's carbs, carbs, and carbs. So I still, you know, try to get some fat in and protein, especially at night for recovery, but kind of in line with what you've preached this whole time on the podcast and to a lot of guys in our group where, yeah, I'm fueling with carbs. I would never eat that way at home. Otherwise I'd weigh 300 pounds, but um, yeah. And this year I thought the tailwind was, was great. Like that was really easy to put down and, you know, in Alaska, it was a little humid this year. So the weather was a little different. So even some of the fats that I normally like just didn't quite sound as appealing. So I was, I was forcing myself to put them down, but I was still getting about 5,500 to 6,000 calories a day on the hike. Um, and uh, you know, ton of water. So I would say it's very, very much in line with what you've talked to guys. And, and I, of course I've talked to you about it as well. So <clears throat> where, you know, like 60 or plus percent is, is carbohydrates. And that's what works good for me when I'm constantly on the go. I just, when your heart rates up, I'm, I'm not digesting fat and protein very well at all
0: so thinking about thinking about that hike and like what was in your food bag and looking back was there anything that you remember just really really sitting well and that you loved having in there and then conversely to that was there anything that once we got back to the lodge you found you didn't you didn't touch because you couldn't just stomach the idea of even eating it
1: not really not too much because i've In all my training hikes, I've experimented with all the foods, so I wanted to make sure I was good. Um, There's a couple of these almond whey protein. They're called RISE bars, R-I-S-E, and I really like them. They're great, and I eat them at home a lot. I had a little bit of a hard time putting those down because they're a little bit chalky. But, um, no, I mean, I love my gummy bears. Like, you can't eat enough of those. So, honestly, like the gummy bears and Tailwind – I don't know if it's possible to live off that for three days, but if I could, I would. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We, I mean, we've got a, we've got a guy in the group of, I mean, a a close friend of yours who does like, that is what he, that is essentially what gets him through the hikes. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I think you made a, like you made a, a, a a statement that I thought was a, a clarifying statement that I think is great to make. Because I get emails a lot of like, it's almost like people think that I'm advocating a diet of gummy bears and tailwind and Gatorade every day. And it's like, no, that's, that's not, that's not at all the case. In fact, like if I, if it's, if it's not covering trail miles, I would almost always encourage you to dose carbs to your training, but also get enough, you know, protein. And so when you're training it, it probably is significantly less whenever you're out on the trail. And 90% of the time, like nutrient dense whole foods are going to be the way to go, right? Like there is a delicate balance there. So most certainly not advocating, like you'd mentioned, eating this stuff all the time year round. But for these instances, it's almost, you know, like you may remember, I think it was, man, I don't remember if it's been eight years or more, uh, eight years or more now since phelps michael phelps was in the olympic swimming for one of his last times and there was an article that came out and just spread like wildfire about what he eats in a day which was basically pop tarts and pizza and mac and cheese and you're sort of picturing like this guy because we always hear like okay well athletes fuel their cars like ferraris and we fuel them like chevy uh, pentos or whatever right and and when you see this guy who's eating what appears like this garbage diet, but you, you don't also have the context of his training volumes and need for calories are so high that he could never ever meet them eating nothing but single ingredient foods. So yeah, there's very specific, when you have very specific goals, it requires adjustments to that. But like you're saying, 99% of the time at home looks totally different.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, that's, what's kind of cool about the hikes is because, I mean, I really like gummy bear they're awesome but i do not eat them at all period unless i'm out there doing that and maybe if i'm at the movie with the kids i might have a bite we were given i don't know if it was dan or Diony, we were giving them a hard time they're showing us our food their food list i mean it looked atrocious i we is, is are you taking your kids to the movie theaters because that, that's what it looks like there's all this junk food like you got to be serious is there anything halfway decent for you and they're like this is what I'm doing. So shut up. (laughs) It was great. Yeah.
0: You'd mentioned this kind of a little bit earlier. Um, I would love to hear what's changed with nutrition over the years. Cause like you talked a little bit about how much of an impact that's had. And I just know through personal conversations, I know how it's changed and you take a pretty unconventional approach, something that most people would probably hear and think like, man, there's no way that's a good idea or there's no way that that would work. Can you talk about how it's changed, what you do now and kind of what your observations are now and your ability to be able to push through those uh, as being kind of one of the two things that you highlighted as being most important?
2: Yeah, well, it, it changed when I met you. <laughs> um, so I guess to, to give more background, I, I have Crohn's disease. So it's uh, and it's managed really well. I don't really like have any, it's not something I suffer from day to day, but I definitely notice it's much, much harder for me to eat things and then hike. So if I if I eat something of any substance, it, it just kind of shuts me down. My body redevotes all those resources to trying to process food. And uh, I'm just, I'm basically not able to eat conventional food while I hike. Um, fast, you know, back up to, to last year, and you introduced me to the idea of drinking most of my calories and just basically eating things that are very, very easy to digest um, all of the different sugars that you talk about, uh, the, the, gummy bear, uh, program, uh, and, and I, I, tried that and essentially I drank. So for, for last year, I think I was drinking almost 2000 calories a day, uh, in tailwind and tang, uh, just, just powdered drink mixes. And, um, what I'm able to do essentially is, is, is fuel myself the entire time as I go and never have to have that crash shut down, sit there for three hours and digest food. Um, Historically, I'd always thought that I needed to eat like high fat foods and high protein foods while I was hiking. And that, you know, looking back on it now was the absolute worst thing I could do. So for me, it's been it's been a a real big difference ever since I, I started doing the drink mixes where I'm basically just sipping on something the entire day. And I never get to that point of I've gone too far. And now I have to sit there and, and eat something and wait to recover.
0: So thinking about um, going into Alaska and you highlighted Tang, you highlighted Tailwind, you highlighted uh, Gummy Bears. What else did you take? Or like even thinking about a day's worth of food, what all was in there? What set well with you? What was left over at the end of the trip that you just didn't feel like touching at all?
2: Yeah, so that's, that's a big one that I've learned and am and, and learning as I, as I go. You really, really have to like whatever you're going to try and eat. Cause I feel like your body sends a signal when you're doing stuff like this. It just tells you not to be hungry, at least mine anyways. Um, if, if I have something in my pack, that's not really, really, really appetizing on a normal day, I'm not going to want to eat it while I'm hiking. Um, so for me, the, the tang and tail one's easy cause I have to drink. So it's, it's, and I like how they taste. So, you know, there, there, you're getting some calories regardless, but, um, all of the, the, like I like, you know, nuts and berries and that kind of stuff, but I, there's no way I could force myself to eat that on a death hike. So all of the stuff like that and all of the different bar foods that are just kind of palatable, if you don't really, really like them, you're not going to eat them. And I found that out again this year. Um, I didn't eat any of the bar stuff. I didn't eat any of the, the nature Valley bars. I didn't eat any of the, uh, the Jimmy bars. Like it, I, I just couldn't get myself to eat them, but I definitely ate, I consumed all of the tang I had. I ate uh all of the gummy bears I had every day. And then uh I did do a couple of the gels because some of those taste good with coffee, but um that was basically what I consisted on and then I'd have a big dinner.
0: Yeah, well, I was gonna say, what did you usually take for dinner?
2: So I would do uh, uh a peak refuel. I, I really like some of the chicken ones and the um uh, spaghetti ones really good, and then I eat like uh, i try to get three or four tortillas with that just plain flour tortillas just to try to
0: build those carbs back up in my system the nutrition during the hike uh so like i said one of the reasons i wanted to have you guys on is because i i we talked about this on the trail and both of you kind of at at some point just were not into eating and jake like you specifically mentioned, you're like, man, I'm already tapping into th- the next couple of days food because of what I've got just doesn't sound good to me. Can you guys talk a little bit about those for each of you?
3: I think what really, I think that was day two when, uh, I had mentioned that to you because we we're, we we're looking ahead at what we were going to be doing for day three and I already gone through all, I, I had almost gone through all of the tasty stuff for, for day three. Uh, and so what I mean, let me clarify with tasty stuff, just gummy bears, uh, like the the gummy bears, the goose, like the the honey stinger, um, you know, goo thingies, uh, what else the, um, high chews and and things like that. Like those were the only things that were sounding tasty and granted, like I've done a few death hikes in the past. And so I know what, what I like and what I don't like, but I, I feel like what I did was I i craved this even more than in past death hikes. I craved those, those types of foods. And I thought I did a great job of, you know, overpacking. Cause that's one thing I think it's pretty known that, or if you work here at EXO, you know, that I have like three stomachs, so I have to eat 24 seven. So knowing myself, like I pack a lot of food, but I guess I didn't pack enough of what I wanted because I had like mm, five to 5,500 calories per day. Uh, I didn't eat all of it. Um, but yeah, I was definitely, I was stressing or or I wasn't stressing. I was, I was a little worried though, uh, you know, not sure or not aware of what day three was going to be like. And, um, you know, not having the amount of gummy bears that my body was craving. Cause I had already gone through like the Epic bars. So those are like the beef, the dried beef bars, uh, cashews. Those were something that I was craving. I don't know why. Uh, I had some like cheese crisps, but the things that were staying in my pack and were just not being touched were like any oat. Backcountry Bar, uh, uh, Bobo Bars, which was kind of surprising because usually I like those because they aren't super dry. They're pretty moist, but still didn't want that. Obviously didn't want the Pro Bar. Um, and those were like definitely some of the heavy hitters for calories. So I was a little nervous.
0: Yeah. Pat, what about um, – well, Jake, let me ask you this. Did you – like before you went, did you sit down? Were you like a detailed – Spreadsheet guy, and you laid this stuff out, or was it more of like, eh, this is usually what sits well with me? I'm gonna throw it in and try to aim yeah. for a rough, a rough calorie. Exactly. Yeah. The day before we left, I went to REI and Walmart and Fred Meyer and the co-op.
3: So, yeah, I definitely didn't put it in a uh, spreadsheet. But I mean, f- knowing what I like from hunts and camping trips and previous death hikes, like I kind of, and and learning from other folks, like. Um, I think on the last day or the day before we were going to leave, you had mentioned to Pat about the Gatorade trick, you know, sorry if I'm taking away from your, uh, talking point Pat, but that was one thing I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. Like however many calories in this powder, you can just drink rather than eat it, you know, cause sometimes you don't want to eat, you know, uh, like I said, a, a backcountry bar or something. So you might as well drink that, you know, sugary drink, Uh, while you're hiking on the trail. So that was basically my plan of attack was two days before get ready and and start packing.
4: I think about a week before we left, I sent you a picture of my food bag and said, how is this only 2,500 calories? I felt like I had like like eight pounds of food in front of me and it just wasn't even close to the caloric totals we were trying to get to. Um, And like Jake said, that was when you suggested doing the Gatorade power thing and I think it's, uh, you know, in in an 18 ounce container, it's about 2000 calories. Does that sound about right? Something like that. I think it's about like a third of a container was about 600 or 650 calories. Um, so that helped quite a bit. And, um, and then you also suggested Uncrustables, which is, I like, took me a while to find. I didn't realize they were in the freezer. Once I found them in the freezer section, I was, I was actually pretty stoked, um, But yeah, in general, I don't, I don't eat very much on whether I'm hunting or just hiking. I can usually get myself to have like a pretty decent breakfast um, and eating those Alpen fuels just because I don't really know what's in them, but there's 700 plus calories. So it's a way of getting a bunch of food in my stomach early. Uh, But then once I'm moving, I don't really want to eat or drink usually until I kind of stop at the end of the day. Uh, Always definitely been something I've struggled with where, you know, my friend's refilling their bladder on an elk hunt and I realized I have two and a half liters of water left. It's like, oh, I'm not drinking enough. And I'm also probably not eating enough. Um, but that Gatorade just basically being liquid sugar with a little bit of electrolytes, I was chugging the water. It was keeping me hydrated and also getting me fuel during the day. And I felt better for how hard that hike was. I felt better during that hike than I do most of the time, even on like local hikes, um, so there's certainly something to it and getting that quick, accessible energy in a way that, you know, is easy for you to do it.
0: The other thing that I love so much about that is, you know, logistically, you run out of real estate in a backpack, right? Like w- when you're trying to shove in five to 6,000 calories, especially when you think about like the original mileage and elevation that we had had planned... I mean, honestly, like as I was laying stuff out, I was kind of like, man, I don't even know if this is enough, but it's going to have to do. So logistically speaking, like those powdered mixes, specifically the ones that have a decent carb load are a game changer in terms of packability and giving you the ability to deliver some fuel whenever your appetite tanks. And I think, like, I don't know if, if you found, if you both found this to be true or not, but I think one thing that I definitely underestimated, but played a pretty dramatic role in terms of exertion and lack of appetite, et cetera, was the exposure and the heat, right? Like I just didn't plan mentally to be in that. Like we were,
4: we would stop. I was going to say we whenever we'd stop, like we'd actually sit down find a little bit of shade and try to find some reprieve from, like you said, the sun, the heat, the exposure, you know, I, I would definitely start to feel better and I would pull my food bag out and I was staring in there at stuff that always looks good to me that I always want to eat. And I just didn't want any of it. Even the gummy bears and stuff. I just, I didn't have, I don't know if it was the sun and the heat, maybe, maybe so, but I, I just didn't have like that, that compulsion to eat anything. I would just kind of move it around in there and then put it back in my pack.
0: Was there anything that you like? Maybe in spite of it not sounding really, really good, you found that you could handle that wasn't the Gatorade, like something that you you noticed. Yeah, I ate most of that.
4: Honestly, those Uncrustables. It was weird. It was like the fact that I knew it was like kind of a lot of calories with the peanut butter and stuff. But like Jake was saying, the last thing when you're hot and you have like dry mouth that you want to do is chew something like an oat bar that's just not that has no moisture. So knowing that there was like jelly in the middle that if i just bit into it it wouldn't really taste dry um those were actually pretty great
0: yeah i love those too i blitzed through all of mine <laughs> i love those <laughs> stupid little things man they're just so delicious <laughs> and um was there anything like what about the flip side like jake had mentioned the oat bars was there anything in your pack that you just felt like there's no way i'm gonna eat this and when you got back to the lodge you found i didn't touch those
4: uh, any similar to him? Anything with oats? Like I really like kind of like the whatever you call them. Kind of like Fig Nuvens. I have these like Nature something fig bars that I usually really like. Um, that have like raspberry and blueberry jam in them. I didn't want anything to do with those. I had backcountry bars with me, which again I usually really liked. Really dense. Wanted nothing to do with them. Um, I had brought a whole bunch of almonds and cashews. Didn't want those. And basically anything I didn't want to eat. I was just drinking the Gatorade was the only thing that I like actually looked forward to every time I'd refill my analogy and I'd dump another, you know, six ounces of Gatorade powder in there and shake it up. It was just the only thing I really consistently wanted.
0: Definitely. There was a couple of things in my, my bag too, where like, I just didn't, it didn't sound good to me. I'm trying to remember, honestly, I didn't, I didn't eat near as many gummy bears as I had planned. Hammered most of the Gatorade um, trying to remember if there was anything else specific. I didn't want anything like super salty and meaty. Like I didn't want any jerky, nothing like that. So that's weird. That's what yeah. I wanted. Meaty stuff like the jerky. Yeah,
3: that. And then I also was so jealous of seeing your giant bag of gummy bears. That's what it, like threw me off too. I'm <laughs> like, wow, I underpacked on gummy bears. Looking at
0: <laughs> yours, should have asked me, man. I had plenty to go. You I think really like. Did. I think, you know, so I'd planned those out with the original mileage and elevation gain. And so like, I think there was, an, I think there was 11 ounces per bag, which was, I'd have to remember and look at my sheet to remember how many calories that ended up being, but like just gnawing on those all day, I, I didn't, we didn't cover the mileage that I'd, I'd planned to. So I made it through about half, which we covered about half the mileage. Um, but it's interesting, like on the, on the plane ride back home, I kind of did a debrief in the notes of my phone. And that was one thing I put, I was like, just don't pack so many, don't pack so many of them. And Mm -hmm. like, there was enough, like I I packed what for the mileage that we did. So there's no way I could have known, but I simply didn't need as many as, as I had. Mm
4: -hmm. I guess one, one thing I should clarify too, though, is like, do I do really look forward to eating? like I bring up a peak or a dehydrated meal at the end of the day, like that I really look forward to once I'm done and I know I'm stopped and my boots are off. Like I really look forward to eating like a pretty big meal right before I pass out. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if that like carries me through into the day or what, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm usually ravenous.
0: Did you notice like either of you whenever, so we got back to the lodge, did you notice at the lodge, or after you flew home, was your appetite really high in the days after the hike?
3: No, my stomach hurt for like two days. Like it was weird. Um, we got back to the lodge. I remember we ate. Like I maybe it just hurt because I over. Like I think I had nine, eight or nine pieces of pizza, and then we had like tacos. So I think I made like three or four tacos, and I remember. Uh, the next day and the day after my stomach just hurt. And so I just, and I didn't have an appetite and I didn't know if that was just from eating those processed bars and and just all that mountain food and then going straight to, you know, kind of junk food, but also normal food. Um, I didn't know if there was any correlation there, but I did not feel
0: good.
4: I think it was the 15 ginger ale you drank on the plane on the way back. <laughs> like that, that lady, that girl couldn't walk by, the sewardess couldn't walk our, by our aisle without Jake getting another ginger ale
0: i'll have another miss i'll have another (laughs) what about you pat
4: um no but like as opposed to jake who's been like spending the last six months trying to put weight on i got plenty to weight to lose so i think that (laughs) i had plenty of calories that i brought with me are already attached that i wasn't super hungry when we were done
0: on the lines of gear because i don't know anybody that is interested in backpacking and hiking and hunting and all that who does not also love gear Was there any single piece that stood out as something you loved? And was there anything that you threw in your backpack that you never touched?
1: The only thing I didn't touch was micro spikes because we didn't need them. I wish we left them at home because they were an extra pound. But no, and I'm a gear nerd as much as anyone. I've got 10 different tents and quilts and everything. So no, there was nothing that really stood out. I mean, the gossamer. The one is a great little tent um, and there was probably four or five of those in the group. Um, it did collect a lot of condensation. And I I'm maybe cause we were close to a lake that one night and it's so humid there. I was a little surprised by that, but <clears throat> no, nothing that um, nothing that stood out. I mean, I was really as minimal as possible. So um, we honestly, I mean, i'm sure you're the same way we weren't carrying that much gear i mean your quilt your pad your shelter and yeah my my little emergency pack that i always carry but no nothing that really i would say stood out um no not not that i can think of i didn't take very
2: much uh I, i i was running really stripped down um i did like the new uh catadine uh filter that i've got uh i can't remember what it's even called it's their new squeeze one it's like a sawyer but it actually you know flows
0: water yeah, is it the the bee free
2: yep that the, the B free so i really like that that was probably one of my biggest new new pieces everything else was was pretty much old stuff that i'd had forever
0: did you filter into an algae or a bladder
2: uh, so I took both. Um, I ran an Nalgene for uh, for my mixed drink, and then I had just uh, bladder for water.
0: So when you were filtering from the B Free, was there like an inline quick connect that you could use from the B Free to the bladder hose?
2: I got it like three days before the hike, so I didn't have time to set any of that stuff up.
0: Gear you hated? Anything you didn't use?
2: No, I I've been doing this for so long. I've kind of got it figured out. What I what i do and don't like and stuff i don't need I, I just don't pack as much as steve likes to make fun of me for packing too much stuff i pack the right stuff all the time
0: <laughs> uh th- somebody had said uh, there was a quote along those same lines like whatever's in your pack is what you needed rather than weigh in your pack i don't know sort of the idea of it was it's, anything you dan feel like you need like is like going to be in there yeah, yeah yeah i know dan like dan i've seen some posts from dan where he's taken like chairs to sit in and stuff <laughs> which yeah. uh, honestly like on we've taken some some backpacking trips just general backpacking trips to go fishing and stuff and i've hauled a couple of those up there they're awesome to have if you're going to be up there you know doing stuff like that but with alaska god i was looking to get rid of stuff more than you know bring stuff with me
2: yeah i had i didn't have very much in my in my tent i mean i had uh god i had like five pairs of socks which i think is is critical for death hikes i think um keeping your feet cool is is a big big part of it um sleeping bag tent hat sunscreen bug spray like that's, that's about it there wasn't much in my pack and then food i had i had uh 12 pounds of food so
0: yeah i think that was everybody's weight i remember all of us right before we were leaving you know sitting in the house waiting to sort of carriage over to get started and Everyone's weighing their pack, trying to find a way they can shave four to five pounds. And everyone's like, man, this is <laughs> largely food. And I can't just start ditching that. Especially like at that point, everyone, I wouldn't say, we you know, the group consensus was we weren't confident we could do the route in total, which was like 55 miles, 28,000 feet. So no one wanted to shave food knowing that. But obviously oh. looking back, if we had known it was going to be more like 35 miles, 10,000 easily could have well maybe not but it was still some of that was tough hiking but maybe could have trimmed some by way of food
2: well i i don't know i the last day was three hours long for me so i didn't eat anything on the last day i had I had tang but
0: gear you loved
3: yeah the pack no i'm just kidding um <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> i had to, I, I i can't i can't talk about that that is some some very highly classified information Uh, except for yeah so obviously our packs yes definitely that's going to be yes that's 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 what's carrying all your gear um but yeah for gear that i used i'm trying to think it was the first time i actually ever really used a Garmin in reach shocker um for some reason i just I, i never bought one and then steve gave me his um so it was super cool to actually finally use it and see what those things are actually capable of um but yeah what else that man i feel like i there's a lot of things. Um, uh, Pat, let me push it off to you and then I'll, I'll get right back.
4: Um, I mean, aside from, you know, part of, part of the death hike was for us to do R&D on, you know, our new pack systems that we've been working on. I kept having to remind myself, like, to think about the pack because it was so comfortable. So I know it's like a joke that we work for a pack company, but I was so impressed with how kind of that final production sample felt. Um, I was really, really happy with that. And then aside from that, man, I, I have such a tough time with my feet and I've just finally found like the perfect boot where I'm done trying other boots. I bought one new pair for this death hike and broke them in on that one training hike we did and then wore them through the whole death hike. And I actually just ordered an, another pair just to have in reserve for when I eventually wear it through these. Uh, but I'm wearing a uh, Lowa Ticam too and for like my foot. The way I hike, I throw a Solomon insole in there, and it's just I have zero foot problems, which on those long hikes like that can be really kind of make or break. So I was thrilled with how those boosted.
0: Yeah. And and to your point, like, yes, you work for a pack company, but you both have, you both, even on the trail, extremely dedicating to perfecting the next iteration of the pack, right? Because I remember a couple of times, You know, we'd be taking a break or whatever, and you would say, "Hey, do you notice X, Y, or Z difference between your pack, which you know um, most of us carried kind of the quote-unquote previous generation, which is the one that's available uh, available now, and then some of the guys who obviously work for you, you um, they had the prototypes, so you were always trying to get customer perspective, right, from people who have not." hiked with or had eyes on these pack and to me it just showed the dedication to really trying to make the best possible solution before you launch it to the public yeah absolutely
3: uh, yeah well i'm gonna swing back here yeah so boots for me so i was running the x ultra fours from solomon those things were awesome uh had zero issues whatsoever uh, i think one thing i did for sure was to make sure i swapped out socks you know just to prevent any Uh, yeah, I mean, just to have a clean pair of dry, you know, clean pair of socks that were dry and just didn't have any issues. And that was the one nice thing, you know, they definitely dried fast. Um, and then another piece of gear, I mean, a lot of pieces gear were all great, but another one that just stood out to me that I didn't have on last year's death hike, which led me to buy this for the hunting season was, um, the, and and we've talked about it quite a bit on our podcast, but that cated in B free filter, just the amount of just how well it does uh, with water flow. Um, compared to like the Sawyer Squeeze, it's night and day difference. For me, I didn't run a water bladder. So Neither I think not. most of us, yeah, most of us did a, a Nalgene water mm-hmm. bottle. So it, it was super quick. And Steve actually pointed out that, you know, it's, you, you're, you're always sipping on the water bladder when you're hiking. And then when you stop, you're taking more gulps out of the um, Nalgene. So there's a little give and take there. But it, I really it led me to really like the Nalgene just with how quick the filter system was and or how the filter process was. So those were two pieces that I definitely liked for sure.
0: What about the opposite of that gear that you had in the pack, never used? Felt like if you could go back and do it again, you just would have left it at home.
4: I did never use my micro spikes, but if we had pushed if if we had pushed across some of those like cornices and stuff, some of that looked snowier. Terrain. I can see how they would have been really helpful. Um, yeah, we just we just had to kind of change plans. Yeah, it's kind of random. Did you guys? Did you guys see the video that uh, Corey Ford sent everybody with the, the cornice that we walked over, finally collapsing, and that guy filming it?
3: Whoa, no!
4: It was it was basically a giant avalanche that the guy filmed. <laughs> so it's probably a good good thing we didn't try to cross that.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. The micro spikes. They. I think I put them on once, and it was to cross a log. Um, I almost thought, so I brought a giant, giant, um, uh, can or what do you call it? Yeah. A little can of uh monkey butt powder. Cause in past death hikes I've always wanted it. And I was like, why in the heck did I bring it this time? And then we crossed the river and I immediately needed it. So that was like a, uh, I almost didn't want to bring it, but I'm glad I did have it because that would have been, that would have been a nightmare. Um, yeah, but I don't think there was anything else, any other pieces of gear that I, I didn't want because I kept it very minimal. I mean, I just followed Steve's gear list um, of what he was bringing, and everything was kind of a necessity uh, for sure. Um, one other thing that I will say that I was appreciative of bringing was the amount of bug spray. That it, I mean, I, I had I had a very little bug spray, and everybody else took got me taken care of with that. I think who was it? Justin. I think he just brought a giant bottle of DEET, and that helped. Cause the bugs just chewed us up. And then I do have to say like one thing I forgot to bring that Justin Clement helped me with was tape. I don't know, I don't know why, but the past two years, including this year, uh, I did not bring tape, And for some reason, for some reason I just think I can go without it. And then come day two or three, I have to tape up. Granted, that's what helped, you know, keep me from blistering up. Uh, cause I know I said the boots and socks definitely didn't cause me any issues, but without that tape that other guys had i probably would have been saying things much differently
4: <laughs> i i had the exact opposite experience where on day two i was like "Huh, i feel like i'm starting to get some hot spots let me throw some tape on and maybe it'll help and like three hours later everywhere i had put tape, i had blisters and when i went down and like took my socks off and looked at my feet like i don't dione told me that it was a a poor application he's like you need to wrap your entire foot in leukotape like a mummy and i just put strips on it um everywhere it had, it had bunched up and actually caused me to get blisters so i don't know i took it off and i felt better for the rest of the hunt
0: but it's a good tip right like you don't like you think just cover it i mean that's what i would have think and i've done that you think yep. just cover it, but then your foot starts shifting everywhere and it gets sweaty. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense where it would sort of ball up and cause the blister. And I'm going to throw, yeah. I'm going to throw Jake under the bus a little bit here. He, he, Everybody, uh, he's talking about the couple of guys that took care of him, but he was he was advertising it for a price on the top of the mountain, oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> offering uh, offering people free accessories and exo swag. Right, yeah, uh, I, I do owe Justin some
3: swag, but I mean that's that's what I need to keep doing just to make my path. right. I just while we're on the mountain, I'll be like, hey, I forgot this. Can you help me out? I mean, it's it's got me it's got me you know here so far. So might as well keep doing what I'm doing.
4: Well, that's the nature of the death hike, right? Those guys are always there to help each other. Like there's some real animals on there that could probably do what we did in one day if they really wanted to, or if you told them they had to, but those guys are hiking with the rest of us and making sure everybody's got what they need and hiking their own hike and challenging themselves in their own ways and waking up yeah. in the middle of the night to leave. <laughs>
0: Were there any just super low points that you had hit mentally and probably more relevant would be what'd you do to move around those to keep going?
1: Well, I think when we hit that ridge where the snow was and decided to turn around, you know, the first day, right after that first big climb. So, um, I think there was a fair amount of anticipation about that first climb because 4,000 feet and two miles is really, really steep. Um, and, my whole thing was when steve made this route i still questioned okay did he do this because he wants us to fail because we always complete the route and he wants to stick it to us one time pretty good or does he really think it's possible so in my mind i'm like man i really 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 want to complete that 60 miles and thirty thousand feet like and if it means going straight through i really really want to do that but the closer it got i was seeing reports And then when the guys flew in the day before seeing all the snow, it's like, I don't know how we're physically going to do that. So that was kind of deflating because with all of these hikes, like when there's an end goal, I'm so like, like the hundred milers is a real easy one. Like I'm so focused on, you get your hundred miles and here's the goal. And my, my mind is focused around it when it's, left up in the air where we don't know really where we're going to go and how far those are more challenging for me mentally so i mean steve made the right call by turning around there it was only going to get worse so we were going to turn around at some point it's inevitable but that one was kind of tough so that just kind of deflated me a little bit mentally because it's like well so much for our 60 miles and all this vertical climbing um and yeah just it definitely took some wind out of my sails coming home from the death hike like it, I it felt um, anticlimactic. Like we just we didn't we didn't finish our our, our goal, you know, which makes me want to go back and do it again and do more. Um, and I was talking to <clears throat> quite a few of the guys, and we were like, dude, let's go over to Wyoming and go do some crazy hike this weekend. Like we need to do something because we're so mentally just wound up for this monstrous route and climb because we weren't able to do it. I just I felt unaccomplished and and defeated, so mentally. So that was, I think, with all of these the mental aspects. If you train enough, the mental aspects harder than the physical. Aspects. So um, trying to train to be mentally strong and resilient is tough. So I just kind of at that point I'm like, okay, whatever. So I'm just going to kind of go along for the ride, and I'm not in a big hurry to to climb this as fast as I can and race everybody. So I just kind of at that point, I'm like, okay, whatever, just going to hang out with the guys for two days and see some cool country. But the whole race, you know, rushing to get this thing done that in. None of anticipation, but that desire to get through as fast as you could. That was, it was gone right after that for me.
2: Well, I mean, I, I, I puked an hour into it. So yeah, I felt a little bit rough right out of the gate. Um, I, I, was trying to hit the perfect amount of calories before the hike started. I wanted to eat something, um, pre-hike, but I ended up overdoing it a little bit and, uh, yeah, and just the heat of the day and that like almost vertical climb that we did to, to begin with kind of caught up with me. But after I puked, I felt good. And I, um, uh, I'd lagged behind a little bit on the, on the beginning, but once I, once I got that out, uh, caught back up to the front group just before we had to turn around. Yeah. And it's, in, in my experience, that's been every death hike. It's like, it's it's hard at first and it gets easier as you go. You just kind of like, okay, you find, you either find your rhythm or you just accept the reality of what what you're doing. And um, I don't know, for me, it seems like more and more, I realize a lot of this is, is mental barriers than you, than you would think would be even reasonable, but it's, you just kind of settle in and, and accept where you're at and what you have to do and you do it stop thinking about how much stuff hurts and how, how bad you're sucking wind. And, and it gets easier
0: on the, the whole mindset front. Was there any low point in the hike you hit? And if so, what'd you do to get around it?
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, most definitely there was definitely um, after the first day uh, I always end up doing this to myself. I don't know why uh, I ended up getting over, it, but, but basically when we got to the very top, it was hot. You know, and everybody was sweating pretty hard. Uh, I think we broke up. That's when we broke up into two groups, right? That's when I went away from you guys and went down down that steep mountain. And then we just did a nice uh, uh, busting through brush fest for a solid amount of time. And then, yeah, Mark and Mark and a couple other guys and I, yeah, just kept doing that for quite a while. And then that's when we met with you guys um, at that bridge and i immediately just kind of felt like i was shutting down i got cold and i think i put my puffy jacket on then and just yeah wasn't feeling like i was able to really keep on going but it was just due to lack of lack of water lack of food um yeah feet were hurting cuz they that was the one time i didn't really swap out socks and i was uh getting some major hot spots and yeah i mean i wasn't feeling good but i think what really just kept me pushing was obviously nobody else is going to quit so why should i and obviously i could quit but what is that going to do me you know it's it's not i'm not going to feel good about that and and then we end up going and day two i feel great day three i feel even better so there's just those little mind games that your mind does play play on you and you just kind of have to battle those and get over it real quick
4: um yeah, similarly, the on that first day, I think it's always hard to adjust to like that new normal, that that kind of exertion. Um, but our first big pull was, you know, four thousand feet of elevation over a little over two miles. And when we got to the top, um, you know, I was one of the last people, honestly, to get up there. Uh, I saw Steve, and he's like, "Yeah, we can't cross this cornice, so we got to like basically go down to where we started." And I think that was probably the lowest part for me was I feel like I just worked so hard to get up there. And the new plan was to turn around and simply walk back down. Um, like Jake and said, some of the guys went a different route and ended up busting through brush, but Kyle, you and I and a bunch of other people just kind of turned around and went down the same trail, not trail, but the same path that we had come up. Um, so that was kind of hard to feel like we had just done that for basically nothing. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I always feel that way too. Like the first day of the death hike, I think a thousand times, like I'm never doing another one of these. And then you finish the first day and you go to sleep and wake up and feel totally different, totally better, ready to take on another day. I think I've just, I've just learned to kind of ignore those feelings and realize that, you know, you're in the suck, but it'll end.
3: Yeah. Pat definitely nailed it right on the head. I think after day one, you just get acclimated and then everything else just goes numb and you don't feel anything. And you just keep on going. And one cool thing is just the amount of support we have through everybody. I mean, with within 23 guys, we're all just lifting each other up and helping each other out, which definitely helps for sure.
0: Yeah, I think, that, I mean, both of what you had said is is perfect. Like the camaraderie and the, it, it's so interesting because like, you know, this being my first one, there's a lot of really, really strong and not just physically strong, just mentally emotionally physically strong guys that have a lot of time in the mountains on trips like this right which frankly like when i compare myself next to them or when i put myself next to them i don't i don't measure up in my mind so you're sort of anticipating this bro fest (laughs) to some degree and that's not at all what happens i mean it is very 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 much like it's almost like you are hiking your own hike and all of these guys happen to be hiking the same hike with you. It's not at all. I mean, there's a there's like a friendly competition amongst a couple of guys, but it's very much everyone trying to push through this together. And the one thing that I found myself saying often whenever I'd be, you know, hurting or tired or whatever is so is everybody else. <laughs> right. Like yeah. every everybody else feels just like you do, and everybody else keeps putting one foot in front of them, just like you're going to do, and so you're right. Like you'd almost be crazy to quit versus just continuing to push on. And yeah, it was awesome to be yeah. it was awesome to be a part of it and and share the trail with you guys. Yeah, it was. I absolutely yeah, like you too,
4: man. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I feel like I was gonna say like one of the questions that came in is thinking about all the death hikes that you've done is there one single thing or takeaway that you would pass along to somebody who's not done one? And I feel like what you'd said there was a good one, right? Like it's the mental piece versus the physical. And it's not to say it's not physically hard, but one thing that like people have asked me particularly with this being my first one was, you know, just what it was like. I said, it's almost like you're not in a group. It's like, it's your hike. And you can make it whatever you want. You just happen to be doing it with 20 other, 23 other people who are doing the same thing as you. And that's, it's, it's kind of reassuring to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, and that's, and, and it, uh, similarly, that's one of the things that's helped me so much. It's like, you're hiking your own hike. You're the only one carrying you through whatever path you're going on. You're the only one moving you up that mountain. Nobody's, nobody's there lifting you. Um, but as you go through that, and you see places where you're strong and you see places where other people are strong. And then you get a little farther on and you see places where you're really weak and it's hard, but if you open your eyes and look around, you can see that other people are weak too. And other people are struggling. And when you, when you realize that the difference between the people that finish and the difference between the people that don't is at some point they made a decision that they were going to finish because everybody had strong parts. Everybody had weak parts The differentiating factor for most guys is the guys that told themselves I'm doing this and, and it just gets easier once you cross that threshold. And what I've kind of realized is that that applies to everything. Um, I mean, I, I look at, I look at the deer hunt I went on last year and it was, it was by a large margin, the most miserable, hardest hunt I've ever done. And there was so many points where it would have been really easy to say, Oh, I'm not safe here anymore. I'm too cold. All my stuff's wet. You know, it, it, I I got it handed to me really, really hard. But when I took stock of where I was and I had, I had the mental clarity to know that, that I'm capable of doing hard things. It lets you take a more honest evaluation of where you sit and, and kind of opens up your mind to what you actually are capable of. Um, You. Once, once you get rid of all of these I can't ideas in your head and you say, okay, well, here's here's the most honest assessment I can give myself of what I'm able to do. Um, it opens a lot of doors.
0: Yeah. That's such good advice. i have told, like we've talked about just my wife and I having conversation. I was like, like the whole impetus of it is it's I'm supposed to not because we were talking about, well, she was like, well, what are the plans? Do you know what you're doing? And he was like, no, I have no idea. I haven't heard from anyone what. Mm-hmm. I know I'm supposed to be in Alaska on this day and we're supposed to start hiking on this day. That's all I know. Yeah. But that's I, was like, really that's, normal. I was like, that's, that's part of it, right? Like you're committing and then figuring it out and that, you know, it's all of the unknowns and then being able to see yourself be successful with those that in the future, when unknowns come up, you're like, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just figure it out when I get there. Right. And so you sort of grow. And I like that. That's the part I love about it.
2: Well, uh, I remember when Anthony and I were training for the first hundred miler, we were doing, 30 plus mile hikes every single weekend and trying to find hard ones. And I, I think he's, he's the one that said it at, at one point where we're doing one of these training hikes we're like, I don't know, 18 or 20 miles in and realized we've hiked a, a huge day already for most people. And we were a little over halfway for what we were going to do for the day. He's like, you know what, this, this kind of makes it really different when you're looking at hunting spots, because you realize that, that a lot of everybody else talks in miles like, oh, this spot's four miles in or this spot's eight miles in or this spot's 13 miles in he's like it stops being miles because i feel like people add miles up like it's it's an increment of difficulty the more miles you do and he's like i don't look at it in miles anymore like if if it's on a trail i can hike three miles an hour now now that 10 mile spot that's three hours of walking it's like it's a different increment you're looking at it like okay this isn't this exponentially harder thing as you go farther it's like oh you know, that's just this amount of time. And, and, and I'm not, and I'm not worse off when I got there than when I started.
0: Not scaled on difficulty necessarily, just how much time is yeah. going to take me. Anything's possible, but just yeah. a matter of how much time do I want to dedicate to it?
2: Yeah. There's no limit to the amount of miles I can hike in my mind. It's just how much time do I want to dedicate to hiking?
0: I like it. So I feel like we're, uh, I would be remiss not to throw this in before I let you go. But if you had to give one tip, to hunt mule deer better
2: Uh, one single tip yeah um i don't know it's it's cliche and everybody talks about it but but so many people are impatient when they should be patient and so many people are patient when they shouldn't be patient (laughs) I don't know. You need to, you need to be confident in where you're at. And if you're in a spot where you think there's good deer, you need to, you need to do your due diligence and find them.
0: Is there anything that you're thinking about doing different this fall or maybe once hunting season's over starting to condition for when and where ever the next death hike is?
1: Yeah. And Before I answer that, I just want to kind of piggyback off your last comment. You know, <clears throat> I think Steve is brilliant in a way that he forces us to be mentally resilient and having a big change in plans that to me, that's actually tougher than accomplishing our route. And you're right. Like, I think today's day and age, like our world is so soft. Like we have it so easy that doing things like this death hike make you grow in ways. I don't know how else you can. And when you're able to accomplish something like that and get that mental capacity and an aptitude if you would it just changes your outlook on everything in life to where daily challenges you have with your family or work really aren't a challenge you know people stress about all this little crap on a daily basis it's like really like you should put your focus somewhere else like if when you, and when you do something like this i just think it makes you so much mentally more strong and resilient to where you can handle daily stuff and it's just kind of like no big deal so it just, it puts you in a different mindset in a very healthy way. And unless you've done it, it's, it's really hard to understand. So it's, and it's cool. Cause it's also, you're in a brotherhood with these other guys that shared the same thing. So that's, what's so awesome about that component of the hike.
0: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to real quick for you, Joe, just to piggyback what you said, cause you'd said something that I thought was good for, I think for, for me and maybe even for a lot of the other guys, you can, you can confirm or, or or not this, but even like, you know, when you take on something like this, you would think that, okay, there's a ton of communication that goes into it. There's a ton of planning. There's a ton of logistics. There's a ton of all of these things. So when you show up, like you've got this really great game plan, there's not <laughs> right. I mean, most of us, like essentially what you're doing is you are signing up and you are saying yes to going, to, to, whatever comes. I mean, you have yeah. no idea. That's, that's pretty much what you're doing. And for me, like, a you know, who I'm very, like, I'm very, I'm a planner by nature. I like to lay things out. I'm very strategic numbers, data, objective type stuff that is way outside my comfort, going, comfort zone, which is good. So simply being, you know, simply saying yes to the unknown, I think for a lot of people like myself included, st- stretches you in in really good ways too, right? Because most of us are, are, you might be a little nervous to go into something that you've got a lot of plans for that seems like a big endeavor, but to go in with literally no idea what's coming. I mean, we had an idea of the route, but we didn't even know if the route would work, nor did we know like how gnarly is that route gonna be? You just kind of go in and you say yes, and then you figure it out. And there's something about, I think that, at least for me, that really... Grows me right, and that's true of you know stuff like this that's physical versus business versus anything like that.
1: Well, and that way, when you have challenges in life, it's not the first time you've seen a difficult situation. So, I you know, last year I killed an elk by myself, and long story short, I started hiking out at 1130 30 and hiked through the night till 5 a.m. And <clears throat> maybe to some people, they think, Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get out of here? and it's like dude, no big deal. It's like five miles. So what? Like I've hiked 30 in a day, so I don't care. Like, So I think having that in the back of your mind to where challenges that most people might stress out about in, in life really aren't that stressful because yeah. you've, you've done it and you know that you can do it. So yeah. that, that's a great, huge learning piece from this and what drives me to keep going back and doing more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I interrupted you. What are you thinking for next year?
1: So next year, um, I'm, I'm probably going to do similar type stuff, but I want to do more. So in the uphill athlete, they talk about the different, basically different heart zones of training, if you would. So one through five, and they have the anaerobic versus aerobic threshold training and doing more of that low heart rate type work to increase your, your cardio base. So I want to do more of that. And then I don't know that it's totally necessary to do eight hour hikes every weekend. I'm I'm not sure about that yet. I think doing focused like one hour straight up a mountain, almost like sprints could be more beneficial. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do roughly the same thing, but I just want to add even more cardio. And then I don't know if I would call it high intensity, but you know, finding a hill that's just crazy steep. And rather than trying to make a loop, just climb it two or three times, you know, these short bursts of thousand, two thousand holes.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think too, like even, you know, it may sound crazy to start thinking about next year already, but. For me, that was part of the fun. Like I started training in January or February and I remember then like I've trained for stuff before and I'm always in this pattern of rushing, right? Like let's get this over with, get the event over with, move on to the next thing. And when I started in January, or February, like I really wanted to remind myself that, you know take take the whole thing in like include this as part of the trip rather than just spending two or three days in Alaska try to enjoy the process of training over a period of months and then when you get there like you you sort of view it as like people always will talk about enjoy the process rather than just the the single day or whatever so yeah i, I mean i i find having something on the calendar to train for is so much better for me and more enjoyable from a mental standpoint versus i'm just gonna go exercise right like i'm gonna go to the gym and you know put in an hour and then go like that's just not motivating at all and to to have something on the calendar that you're training for whether it's a backpacking trip a death hike hunting season whatever it is is man mentally so much better for me than yeah i'm just gonna go work out right like it's just I don't know if that's what I used to do, like many, many years ago. And then when I started to put events on the calendar, man, it's just so much more motivating. And you're watching times and there's metrics to watch improve. And there's always something to to to, to, to look for, to try to improve. And there's always a goal. And there's always a kind of a, an end point as opposed to I put my 30 minutes in time to go home. It's just, it's tough to, it's tough to stay in a good mental spot and want to exercise whenever it's exercise versus training.
1: So I, you hit the nail on the head, having an event on the calendar holds me so much more accountable. Mm-hmm. It, and that might be hunting season, like a big hunt that I have coming up or if I'm going out state, but definitely the death hike, like that's what, forces me to get up early and work out when I don't want to. And that's what prevents me from having a milkshake with my kids as I get closer to the event. I mean, <clears throat> when I get really close, I am really strict with my diet. Like <clears throat> I told the kids, like, I cannot wait to get home. Cause I'm going to have like a bottle of whiskey four milkshakes and a pizza. Like I
3: cannot,
1: <laughs> <wait>. <laughs> I haven't done anything. You know, I'm so strict about it and yeah, but it just, it holds you accountable. And I don't care if it's a, your local 5K race that you do at the park, right. but I think it is so healthy for people. And then, you know, when I have a workout program where it's like, okay, this day you do this, this, and this that I'm following, that too holds me accountable. So, and I'm, I'm sure I'll do that next year with these uphill athlete guys where it's like, okay, 16 weeks out or 24 weeks out, here's your workout every day for the next six months. And I, I mean, I think it's a little... Uh, obsessive, but whatever. I think it's good too. I like it. But yeah. you're right
0: because they're, you know, their whole premise is you are essentially progressively working towards a goal, meaning you start small and you're adding these little bitty incremental increases in your training in a week over week basis. And the premise is, is that it compounds with interest, right? And so really you can't look at how much you've gained. You can't really talk about how how much you've improved until you get to the end. And the, you know, the idea behind it is because it's progressive, because it's small, because it's incremental, the compounding interest turns out to be a lot when you're done, but it also minimizes injury risk over the course of time. And um, I just, I really like their program. There's a program out of uh, Australia called Summit Strength that I've worked with. Love those guys. And also Mike Prevo. So three really great resources I'll link in the show notes too. So people can check those out if they're interested.
1: Yeah. I think the hardest part is going to just be wrapping my head around not doing as much strength training, knowing that I'll probably lose some weight and it's like, eh, whatever. So yeah, I don't know what that fine line is. And I don't know if there's anybody that has the answer for it, but I'll experiment with it. I think the big takeaway would be, putting something on the books, you know, for your listeners, you know, they don't have to do a death hike. And, and for some of them that think, Oh, I'm too old or I'm too this or I'm too that. Like I've heard your story. You lost 150 pounds or something. Is that right? Like, don't tell me that. And I'm the oldest person in our death hike, So don't tell me it's age either. Like, I think you need to do something, you know, keep pushing yourself. You're either, you're either growing or you're dying. So, and as, far as I'm concerned, I want to maintain a certain level of performance for a long time. I mean, I know when I'm 80, I'm probably not going to do this, but I still think there's so many good years and, and people, you know, I hear it with my patients. Oh, it's just old age is this and that. And I'm like, no, dude, it's not like that's such a cop out because professional athletes are in their forties now. Okay. That, that never used to be that way 20 years. So that, that bar keeps going up with age. So don't succumb to age or excuses, like keep pushing it. And it's just awesome figuring out what our body can do and what you're really capable of. And, you know, our, our minds, the limiting factor and that's between the ears. So just, just keep going. Yeah.
0: A big thanks to those four guys for taking the time to jump on the podcast and share their experience. I'm certain that there was something that you heard from their perspective and their advice, their wisdom from doing things like this over multiple years that you can take and apply in your own training, taking on your own adventure. And that's the other thing, even if you don't have the chance to take something like this on, plan something with a group of uh, friends that are close to you and, and challenge yourselves to take that on. We'll do one more episode on the death hike, which will be Mark and I going over our entire food list, how we planned our nutrition for the hike, knowing the mileage, the elevation, et cetera, and really trying to pay attention to give you some tips, some, some, not just general ideas, but specific tips that you can take and apply it to your own. If you do try to plan something that just seems like a really, really large endeavor We've had other questions about, did we incorporate strength training in addition to hiking to prepare for something like this? How do you go about adding intervals of weight as you work up your pack weight for training something like this? Do you just do long mileage? So lots of different really great questions that have come through from you guys on specificities and specifics about training uh, that Mark and I are going to cover for the third part of the podcast. And then that will be it. With the season in full swing, uh, at this point for many folks, make sure that you take advantage of the free guides and resources that we've put up to help you prepare and perform optimally in the backcountry. You can check all of those out at the website, v2pnutrition.com. There's a link at the bottom of the page where all of those are housed. And there's everything from um, free planners, to lists, to improving out improving iron stores. If you're gonna be planning some sort of a trip to a higher a state where there's higher elevations to so many different free resources that you can take advantage of. So please check those out at v2pnutrition.com. If there's topics that you would like to hear us cover in future episodes, shoot us an email at info at v 2 pnutritioncom And I would be more than happy to put those on a list of topics that we'll cover in the future. And finally, if you enjoyed the episode or other ones that you've listened to in the past, would you consider leaving the show a review in your podcast app or ranking it, or even passing it along to to a friend of yours? All of these things are tremendously helpful uh, for us to grow and greatly appreciated. So if you've got a couple of seconds to do that, that would be awesome. Thanks for joining us this week. Have a great rest of your week, everyone.